0: Jen Bosworth Ramirez. And I'm Gina Polici. We went to theater school together. We survived it, but we didn't quite understand it.
1: 20 years later, we're digging deep, talking to our guests about their experiences and trying to make sense of it all.
0: We survived theater school, and you will too. Are we famous yet? <laughs> Are you guys um, going out, but there's only so much playing in the snow you can do, right? I mean, there's...
1: There's only so much playing in the snow you can do. I think we're in the phase and maybe we've always been it or been in it for a while or we're returning to it. But the phase of the self-isolation where it's like, we're all kind of low key, like nothing matters. There's no point to anything. This is all just, yes. this is all just like, like. So, I'll be doing the dishes, and I'll just think like I'm just performing this dishes act, right, <laughs> and I'm just right performing the trash act. I mean, it's all like I'm not suggesting that it would be better if we just ignored that and lived in a in squalor, but at the same time, <laughs> right it just does feel like what are we doing yeah, what it is, is it is it does feel like it's
0: never um for me, I I just go back and forth to different houses that aren't my house. Uh, We just keep, we keep eating. We keep going, you know, to the bathroom. It's just the same. And it's just, it just, there is, we need a break. We all need a break and something fun to happen because this is, this is pretty, you know, yes, it could be worse. Yes. We're healthy relatively speaking. And, but It's real boring. I mean, I think what you're talking about is a real deep level boredom going on.
1: (laughs) And I, one of the things, one of the states of being that I dislike the most is being bored, but, but having a lot to do. Yes. Like having a lot of tasks on my plate. Yes. Um, and I should say, I mean, I, I am finding things to keep me stimulated. I'm not entirely bored. I can right. say that there's was a good portion of my life since living here. Well, even maybe before, uh, where I was extremely busy, working really hard, and just so bored, because wow. nothing was feeding me creatively, mm-hmm. whatever, intellectually. So thank God for this venture <laughs> between us. Thank God for... Uh, Clubhouse, which I'm, okay. like I'm fully excited. addicted to. You
0: are. Okay. Because everyone, I'm seeing it in all my forum, like all the pages I'm a part of online, like, right. Like I'm a part of some writers groups. I'm a part of some women's Facebook thing. Everyone is going on Clubhouse now. So I'm once our, after our interview today, I'm going to T-Mobile and get, my, and get my iPhone.
1: Good. Oh, I'm so excited for you. Yeah. You're going to, I mean... It's like a blessing and a curse. It's If you're like me, you'll get on it. And then it's hard to get, it's hard to get off of it. Um, but it's amazing because, and I've been saying this so much recently, but it's still true. It's amazing because, talk about boring. Part of what's boring about social media is that you're just seeing so much of people's self curated self image. And you never know, like, what to believe about what the person is presenting to you. And in this case, I mean, I'm certain there are ways that people can filter themselves on this app, too. But for how it is for right now, for me is, it's only people's voices so there's to me there's nothing to hide behind i mean you're right. hiding because you don't have to we don't have to see your face but but to me like the value of a person is not in their face it's in their mind and right. you know not not to say like they have to be intellectual or anything like that i'm just saying like pe- people's perspective people's thoughts about the world that's what's compelling to me about other people or not compelling to me about other people as the case may be right and what you find on on clubhouses is people, and, and and don't get me wrong, there's plenty of, I was saying to somebody last night, so far, I can identify a few different tiers or, or categories of people. And it's same thing is true on any other social media platform. But um, there's the internet hustlers, the people who are trying to make a buck, the yes. life coaches, the yes. entrepreneurs, the venture, you know, so there's that whole side of things. Then there's, you know, people Uh, who and and this may be a lot a lot of a lot of us people who are have been so socially isolated that they're just longing for human connection right um and i forgot where i was going with that's okay
0: but there's different tiers of people so like so there's different categories of like who who's trying to do what on there
1: right who's trying to do what and 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 the 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 category that I'm finding myself attracted to is something that I really have not done very much of in my life, which is trying to synthesize different worlds together. So like there's a lot of tech people on there and I don't know anything about tech and there's a lot of big thinkers on there, which I'm not a big thinker. So, so when the, when you're in a room and you hear the tech people talking to the, um, to uh, some artistic type of person, talking to some finance type of person, and they're all smart. You're hearing the way that they look at the world as much more integrated than I tend to think. I tend to think about things in silos, you know, like there's like, like how I describe clubhouse. There are these three sections of people. Those people probably wouldn't say that they would probably say, there's the people who are talking about something real and then the people who aren't and the people who are talking about something real are really like integrating. I I've heard all kinds of terms I've never heard oh before. My God, I'm looking so exciting. things up all the time. Yeah. yeah. It's very exciting. It's very cool. And last night um, the person who got me onto this app is this guy. I know even not really even that well, but I'm getting to know him so much better um, who's in theater and we want to do something on there that's theater related. And we had a meeting last night to try to figure out what we should do. And I was thinking, very simply, like we should just read plays. We should we should um, t- bring back sort of like the radio play yeah. version of things, uh, which is fine. And we could do that. But and who ended up coming into the room was this guy who has nothing to do with theater. Except that he's a huge, he's a musician and he's a connoisseur of all the arts. And he started talking about, he just started going off on this tangent about the opera. And at first I was like, where is this going? And what he was really talking about was why he loves opera is it's this distilled, like, cauldron of passion that is so undeniable. And... And it got me to thinking, like, what else we could do besides just reading plays? Anyway, it's a whole lot of thing, but it, it was fun and exciting and interesting and engaging. And I realized that if I feel engaged in that way, I can then go do the rest of my boring ass <laughs> I think that's
0: so true. I I can totally relate to that. There was a time when I was working in social services and I had zero creative, any, any fulfilling thing happening in my life. And I thought, I can't do this. I literally felt uh, it was, it was beyond depression. It wasn't, it wasn't like a clinical depression. It was more like, oh, I cannot sustain this. I have to make a change. It was active. I was like, Oh, I need something created in my life. And that's when I started telling writing and telling stories at these like open mic, you know, live lit storytelling nights, because I was like, I need something. All I'm doing is, you know, doing therapy in groups with, with addicts all day. And I, this is not sustainable. And that was not fi- fulfilling my creative, the creative need. So it's it's interesting that you say that. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I can do the, the tasks, the taxes, the mundane tasks if I have something in my life that is really exciting. And I think we're all reaching the point of the pandemic where it's like, what is exciting? And so I'm glad Clubhouse has come along because now we have a new thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's something to get excited about, and that, that's an interesting point. I, I I'm not certain how well this might have taken off if it weren't for the pandemic. Maybe it would have because it's still it's still fulfilling this need of the getting rid of the noise and garbage of the social media platforms as they exist. And I'm sure it's only a matter of time be through, before there's a bunch of noise and garbage on this one too. But to be in the and I, I, uh, you know, it, it's been around, I guess, since June, but most people like the earliest I really see people having joined is October. Mm-hmm. mostly people are like coming into it in the last month. It's really, um, and a lot of
0: industry people like entertainment industry talks and, and are doing all their stuff on clubhouse, like join casting oh, director. A ton, blah, blah, yes. Blah, blah, blah.
1: There's a ton of that actors, Filmed it. It it, it, it's all. It's a lot of film and TV. I mean, when they have um, industry stuff, but also a lot of stuff about podcasting. So I joined several podcasts, and I got all that info that I was sharing. So good, so good. I really, I really. I'm
0: really excited. I'm also excited to get an iPhone. That way we can do all kinds of things. There's FaceTime. Miles, Miles said, when I said I'm getting an iPhone today, he said, will you FaceTime me? I'm like, Miles, we live together. Oh. We're always together. What are we FaceTiming? What am I, what the that's hell? so cute. But, but he has an iPhone and he's, he has an iPhone fancy one. And I'm here with an Android from, you know, the Ford administration. I don't know. What Why
1: did you go down the I, Android path? That is a really, you know, I think it stems
0: from my, um, okay, so, you know, all transparency. When I left, and I hope I don't go to jail, but when I left my my big wig job in Hollywood, for me, it was a big wig job. Everyone else is like, ah. Oh. But when I left that job, I maintained a cell phone that was not, that was being paid for by the company. And I, and that was, that was all, Android based, and so then when there would have been a natural transition to like, hey, just get an iPhone like everyone else. I just had already been like in, entrenched in 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 non iPhone situation, and now. And then it just got to be that thing where it's like too late. Like I, I just felt like so behind that I was just like, oh, I'll just stay with my Samsung. And now I'm like, no, no, just.
1: Well, yeah, yeah. and that's that's like what people who were really into Blackberries they had a hard time giving up their Blackberries. But to, you know, to be honest, sometimes I really resent being so co-opted into Apple that I like I could never make a change now I'm so you know all in there it's it's so entangled um and for the most part that that's fine it's it's a great they're great applications it's great technology but at some point it's gonna be terrible and get eclipsed by something else and then we're gonna be stuck with it yeah I mean there's the whole thinking of like when Facebook falls you know if Face.
0: Because that's a matter of time, because of so many problems, and it's like, what are we? Are we all gonna move to Clubhouse and just do that? And then, or is there gonna be another platform that's like Facebook that people, I'm sure, are developing madly, and it just hasn't taken off yet? And they're probably all out there. So, you know, we're all just, you know, what we're sheeple. I mean, it's it's yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: That's what we are. That's
0: okay. What else can we do? I mean, we're we're just yeah, we're just we can buy, and we're just trying to get through. We're just trying to get through.
1: Amen, sister. Yeah. Everybody is trying to get through. Hey, let me run this by you. I'm thinking,
0: like, have you ever um, committed? This is this is kind of crazy, but have you ever committed a crime inadvertently? Meaning, have you ever set a fire by accident? Have you ever? Um, and I, I have you ever not intentionally committed a crime?
2: The of crime. okay
0: now yeah. miles is chiming in about intent about crime it it doesn't matter miles <laughs> miles he really wants to be a part of this like miles just has this secret I, I, longing i love
1: it okay love it. But he, here's, he can be a part of it sometime yeah,
0: yeah but not not now so um <laughs> so so here's why i'm saying that i once this is i once had a cigarette i did not intend for this to happen and i was outside in uh where was i i think i was somewhere on the east coast during my year off theater school times and i my cherry of my cigarette landed in a garbage can and in, ignited the whole garbage can outdoors and i <laughs> and i walked away so my question is like have you ever done something where you're like that could totally I walked away. I didn't know what to do. It, it, it. Where
1: something gets bigger than you, and then you have yes. to just
0: either choose: I'm going to call nine one one, or I'm
1: going to walk away. Oh wow! I mean, I, I'm sure I have the first thing that came to mind. Two things came to mind when you first said that. That related to me dri- driving while stoned. Okay, which I do not endorse i do not condone i should have never done it but my defense is that i was 23 years old i was like 22 when i did that the garbage can incident the first time was when russell and i drove to see you from chicago to um to massachusetts do you remember that yes i do and we got really stoned and then drove when we were driving through Pennsylvania, you know, when you go through Pennsylvania and it's just like a long straight yes. line kind of thing. And we got pulled over and I was super freaked out. Cause I think we had quite a bit of marijuana on deck there. And, I actually don't remember why we got pulled over. Yeah. I don't think it was for speeding. It might have been for going too slow. Oh I think we were going too oh slow. Oh my, oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's brilliant. <laughs> and and so when the officer came up to the window, I just threw a Hail Mary pass trying to think of something. And I said, you know something? <laughs> This state has the most beautiful flower beds on the um, median. Oh, my God. And, and as if this was an Im- improbable scene in a movie, he said, I'm so glad you mentioned that. That's called purple vetch. And we are very proud of it in the state of Pennsylvania. And we proceeded to talk about this plant. You know, meanwhile, I'm thinking about the real plant that I don't want him to, to talk right. about for like a good seven minutes oh. before he let us go. Yeah. But yeah.
0: You, he never, you never remember like the crime that you, or the infraction you committed. It was probably driving too slow. I, I
1: think it was driving too slow.
0: On the freeway.
1: The other time was, <laughs> all, that it was purple, also in my, twi- purple vetch. Okay. Purple vetch. Oh my God. The other time was also in my twenties. I went to visit. A guy that I was friends with in high school. And man, this kid, I love this kid, great guy. Um, but he was s- squatting in a oh, house. Right. Um, he had moved there legally and paid the rent. And then something happened to his landlord, they just disappeared. So he just kept staying there and not wow. paying the rent. And the way that he made his living was he grew marijuana inside of his house. He had, um, you know, a special hydroponic. So that actually meant that um, the entire house was covered in mold, black black mold, because there was so much moisture. And I was like, hey, um, Matt. Um, your wall, your walls are like real black. I mean, it was like a white. There were white walls. He's like, yeah, it's from the you know, it's it's from the hydroponics. And I'm like, yeah, I I think that's pretty bad for your for your lungs and stuff. <laughs> he he was unconcerned. Anyway, I got very stoned and I left, and then I was driving the wrong way down a one way street. And once again, I, I was pulled over and this is my white privilege speaking, you know, of course, like I, if I had been, if I had a different skin tone, I would, in right. both of these cases, I probably would have been probably arrested. Yeah. I should have been arrested. Yeah. Driving the wrong way down a one way street. Um, But I, I got let off. Other than that, I feel I I am so annoyingly rule bound and, 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 and very concerned about being in trouble with authority. Yeah. I, 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 when I was six years old, I stole a chapstick. I have never stolen anything since then, stolen anything since then. Um, I, I'm very afraid of committing crimes. So I probably have, I mean, I've, you know, not anymore, but like when I first met Aaron, he, he thought nothing of um, walking out of a store with something. And it was never like, I'm going to steal this. It was like, he went up to the line, it was too long. So he just walked out. Wow. Or something, something got yes. missed in the cart. And he's like, Oh, whatever. It's no big deal. And he doesn't do that anymore. Because I'm like, Oh, no, oh, no, sir. This is this is not ethical. Yeah. So I my, my, my sense of that is like, probably over determined because of my 'er ne'er-do-well father yeah oh yeah
0: see my 'er ne'er-do-well father too i think but i mine were like more like misadventures like i didn't plan on it and then like okay one time in in new york city i was there for thanksgiving and this is not a crime but it's like a mishap that goes horribly wrong so in new york city i was visiting my friend and we were making a turkey. And um, for Thanksgiving, and in in his small, small apartment, and it was a turkey, one of those disposable aluminum turkey bin Mm -hmm. things, Um, turkey pans, pans. roasting pans. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. So you know, it has a lot of juices and stuff, and so as we're pulling the turkey out, the bottom scrapes off of the pan, and it becomes a huge inferno in the oven (gasps) of grease fire, a grease fire. So we didn't know what to do. So we go to the hallway and get, if you're not supposed to do this, but we get the, there's a fire hose in the hallway and we get the fire hose and we spray the turkey in the oven with the fire hose, which doesn't put out the fire, <laughs> but creates an immense amount of wetness and smoke, which then pulls sets off the whole sprinkler system oh, in a whole building. Oh, oh God. And so we oh didn't God. know what to do. So we locked the doors. We put the hose back. We locked the doors. We pretended like no one was home. We put towels under the door frame <laughs> so that we can't breathe because it's so smoky, but we don't want people. Oh, the police came. It was a whole
1: situation. Oh man. I, I have inadvertently triggered several fire alarms at my house due to not knowing the, uh nuances of owning a chimney and you know because I lived I never had a chimney before I grew up in the California, you no chimney. To open the
0: flu. Bea. Yeah. You open the flu.
1: Dude, it was that. It was very that. So uh yeah one the one of the times that the um fire department came was um we had some people staying at our house uh people who stressed me out quite a lot and they finally went to bed and i was like all i want is just to make this little fire and sit by it and have my little moment of peace and repose and sure enough i <laughs> just this billowing smoke <laughs> and it wasn't because i didn't open the flue it oh. was for some other reason oh it it was you know you have to do this thing where you like crack the window so oh, you yeah. get the yeah i just didn't have like proper the, ventilation the, Proper ventilation. And exactly. so, did the
0: fire department have to come?
1: Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And these people who stressed me out were really fucking stressing me out after that. And it turned it into a whole thing of like, are you okay? Is there something, you know? Uh, yeah. It's just, <laughs> yes. Oh, life. We don't need to get into that. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, a, But no, yeah. I, I, I. I, I wish I had a, a, a nicer, a better, like more exciting answer to your question. Well, that's I, okay. I, I wish I had inadvertently committed a crime <laughs> and uh, <laughs> just watched it all. unfold. My crimes are probably all interpersonal, oh. you know, um, real. Uh, I, by the way, I, so often every time i'm e- editing one of these episodes i'm listening to myself say something that i know i did not intend to sound rude and it <laughs> sounds so rude like what oh I, you I, don't I, I, yeah. oh okay uh, there's just been a number of times where you know what it, how it happens a lot is somebody says Our guest will be saying something and I'll have in mind the next question I want to ask, which may or may not be related to that. And I feel like I have to put a button on what they said, acknowledging, you know, but it just comes out sounding insincere. So like if you're the guest and you say, yeah. And, and so that uh, I, I was so frightened of my audition and, and, you know, my knees were shaking the whole time and, and then they'll kind of trail off and I'll say, um, yeah it was really scary anyway you know <laughs> and and i and i never mean it no just sound like that but it it comes you know, maybe it's not coming across that way to the yes. But that's, that's i don't think it comes way. no it doesn't and also i think Today on the podcast, we have Jason Peck. Jason is a founder and the co-artistic director of Throne Stone Theatre Company in Ridgefield, Connecticut. He's also an actor and a director and a teacher. He teaches theater uh, to high school students, and he is not a graduate of the theater school, but he is a graduate of two other theater schools. So please enjoy our interview with Jason Peck. So you're actually, so we might as well start. Congratulations, you survived theater school. You survived it twice. You went to two different theater schools, which I you I think I you're did. the first person I've ever known who's done that. Yeah, um, it was a
2: blend for, blend for punishment and went back for more. So.
1: And you are the first person we're talking to who didn't go to our theater school. So we're very, very curious to know about the ways in which, um, these conservatories are the same and which they're different. Um, having listened to a couple of episodes, ha- has anything struck you as being like, Oh, we didn't do it that way at, at USC. Cause you went to USC mm-hmm. and then you went to MFA in Florida, right?
2: Yeah. So I, I got my BFA from university of Southern California and my MFA from FSU in Sarasota. I, you know, I think the thing that the, the, the thread that connects, uh, Between me, your experience, and my experience, is that I feel like there was um, a lot of um, crossing the boundaries um, of uh, of what is considered appropriate in terms of like contact with students and um, power trips, head trips, um, and people using their um, their power. in 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 a situation where they're working with very young kids, 18, 19, 18, 19 year olds, and using their power to really kind of um lord it over them. So I think that's something that I that I recognize that that happened um in my BFA program. Not so much my MFA program, although I think that I I was an older student in in my MFA program. I was like thirty years old. So I think I was like a little bit uh, older and wiser to the shenanigans that went on um and didn't really care so much about pleasing my professors which i think like when you're 18 19 years old it's always about like trying to get that pat on the head oh yeah Yeah.
0: for sure
2: um yeah
0: so So did you oh go ahead bus well i was just gonna say you know to take it even back further because i'm i'm super curious about were you a child uh actor were you a child actor
2: I was. So I lived in Los Angeles. So, um, I, I did primarily commercials and, and stuff like that. But I, uh, when I was nine years old, I started taking acting lessons at a place called young Actors space, which is kind of like, um, the young acting studio for a lot of like up and coming TV stars, like, you know, uh, 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 Maggie Gyllenhaal, Jake Gyllenhaal went there and, uh, the, this, uh, Frank Zappa's kid, Amit Zappa went there and, um, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and and people like that. So I was with them when they were when they were kids. I mean, the thing about it is, my my parents were very 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 clear that they didn't want to schlep me from audition to audition. Right. So it was, it was more along the lines of like they recognized I, I was never really good in sports. I always joke that like the position I played when I played on the field was left out.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, that's
0: funny. I would be left. Uh, I would be left behind. That would be. My
2: hand. <laughs> um, so I think my my parents were just thrilled that I like actually gravitated towards something that I was actually halfway decent at so they kind of like tried to move me in that direction so since I was nine years old I was in kind of like an acting studio environment
1: But but your parents are not in the industry so you had to really truly find that on your own did you find it just when you were nine or were you looking for it before that
2: um, I think what it was the spark that kind of lit it is I was in fourth grade and um not good at the sport as I said and I got cast as the scarecrow in a Halloween play and I felt really really good about my work and my parents were like, "Wow, this is something that he can do," and they just basically at that point just opened the yellow pages and you know found like an acting studio and they you know did some reference checks and stuff like that and then I started going there and I, it was a pretty intense program because I was. I was nine years old and I was going twice a week for three hours every Whoa. evening. So it was fairly intense. It was fairly intense. Wow. Um, uh, but uh, my parents, they, they saw that I was thriving. So they basically kind of encouraged it more than anything. Um, that, so yeah. That's
1: unbelievable. I, do you th- do you, does that program still exist and does it still work that, in that same way?
2: It does because uh the the kids that go there usually are kids that are either on series or not on series and basically they're not in school. They're either homeschooled oh. or something like that. So those are the kind of kids that go there. This is serious um,
0: they, business, Jason Peck.
2: Yeah, this is mean, I mean, hardcore. It is.
0: I I can't I mean the commitment, the commitment you had as a as a nine year old, my lord, I was like wearing fluorescent colors and trying not to get, you know, picked on. I, I you you were like a pro. Wow. Well,
2: but 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 for me it wasn't like it didn't feel like, you know, I'm like I'm a serious artist, you know, studying. It was more along it was like it was like summer camp. It was like fun, you know, you Could play pretend. So it didn't really feel like, you know, working my craft and like all those things. It, it felt it felt very much like fun. So right? it's
1: interesting that you make your living now teaching younger people acting. It, it's been you know. in the high school setting most. Oh no, I guess it's also Middle school, middle school, and high school.
2: Middle school, high school, and uh, for three years, I was a visiting artist at North Carolina State University. So I've taught at the college level as well.
1: Okay, cool. So, yeah. so one thing I did that very a little, very little bit. I taught middle school drama, and the whole time I was just like, I, I-, I mean, I-, I don't know how to teach these <laughs> sixth graders acting. Like, I I kind of just treated it like, okay, so we're just, I'm just going to teach them how to learn their lines and just do this recital. So, like. you've clearly learned at a young age about acting that probably influenced your ability to teach younger people how to do it. But like, what are some of your ends with a very young person? Because we talk so much about how acting requires a real knowledge of yourself. And I just don't know how you do that with kids.
2: Well, I mean, a lot of it has to do with, I mean, uh, permission to fail and giving themselves a safe space where they feel like they can express themselves. I tell all my kids from like, you know, when they're middle school, even to high schoolers, that it's a safe space and it's a place free of judgment. I start all of my classes where basically it's kind of like a kind of a cheesy thing where basically I, I imagine that we're unzipping a curtain. We open the curtain, we step through and close the curtain behind us. And basically what happens in this room is a safe space and a place of not of, of not judging. Um, and so, I mean, I don't think like I have some like magic potion that like, you know, <laughs> I could work with the kids. But I will say that one of the things that um, uh, that, you know, more than anything, I think when you're talking about high school, or high schoolers and middle schoolers is developing a level of trust where they feel like you're not judging them and they feel like it's, it's, it's really a safe space more than anything. So it's a lot of improvisational games and stuff like that. A lot of um, some scene work, but more than anything, it's about like being comfortable in your own skin um, and learning kind of what makes you tick. I mean, I think that's kind of like, you know, my guiding principle um, of, of, of trying to find something for kids that where they feel like this is uh, a place where they can express themselves without fear of judgment.
0: Wow. Well, I, I so I have a question. So that sounds awesome to me, and I want to I want you to come over and and we, <laughs> let's do that as as a performer and a writer. I I, I really I'm going to send you a plane ticket. But the other thing I want to know is so taking that and then when we went to theater school, it was like the opposite of that. I mean, I won't say yeah. what your experience was like, but for me. It was like, I didn't feel a no judgment zone. I felt a high judgment zone. So what happens between, so in a conservatory setting, like where does that go? Why does that go out the window? Or like, does anyone have any idea? Because what you're talking about sounds awesome. And what I experienced was awesome in different ways, but definitely was a judgment zone yeah so like what happens in the conservatory do you think
2: well i think i think a lot of it has to do with the fact of the way that they market themselves as being a professional program so they're basically there's a sense of like when you walk in there's a sense of i'm so privileged to be here like you know that there's a sense of like i'm honored i had to audition it was really intense competition so i think we immediately walk in with a sense of trying to prove ourselves Trying to actually make our mark. And I think, you know, at least for me, when I when I went into a conservatory, it was it was like really hammered in my head. that it's all about connections and who, you know. So it's really about almost ingratiating myself with all of the teachers that I had in its school. And um, I think more than anything, I mean, yes, I, I will say that the structure of the conservatories and the kind of like the the hierarchy of the, you know, the, the sitting in your ivory tower definitely exists. In, in colleges, but I think a lot of that's with the mindset of, of people going in of wanting to be professional and wanting to make at least make your mark. You know, I want to like I make a difference. And especially in schools, I don't know about DePaul, but schools that cut that basically where there's like, you know, kind of like, okay, you know, who's going to make it this year? So I think that immediately sets up this level of competition that just doesn't exist in a middle school or high school situation because, you know, mm, those, kids, those kids, are it, kids are just doing it for fun. you know, I, I would say that on, on the whole, um, I would say in, in my 12 years of teaching, I probably have only had seven or eight kids gone on to BFA programs. Um, and a lot of them just for other, you know, various reasons, their parents like, there's no way my, whole, my kid's going to go to theater school from, you know, that, you know, they have other interests. Uh, but so I think that kind of takes the pressure off uh, from kids to like, you know, uh, wanting to uh, impress and, and and make make your mark. I think it'd be different if it was like a performing arts high school or something. Sure. Yeah. It's, sure. it's a little bit different in my situation. I right. Think.
1: Definitely. So we talk a lot about uh, the phenomenon of cult of personality that happens in conservatories and you know it's part of, partially just the kind of person who's drawn to acting and you know they 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 tend to be people with big interesting personalities did that same cult of personality exist at this uh, training program when you were very young
2: um you mean at the in in the young actor space or in the uh, yeah, or in the in the
1: young actor uh, space
2: Yes, absolutely. I mean uh, the the there already were some celebrity kids, so I think basically there was a sense of uh, they were already <laughs> with, with their PR agents and their publicity being able to try to actually oh. promote their personality and their quirks and all their kind of like interesting things that make them them. Yeah, that was a, that was a huge part of it. But
1: what a about the part. teachers? I'm uh, w- w- was there sort of this thing of like because what we had a lot at our school was. Well, if you're in this acting teacher section, you're this kind of person and if you're oh. this you know you know like the the people who had Rick were always better at improv, and the people who had David were considered you know more serious about acting acting did did they try was that sort of a, a well phenomenon? they they
2: they had at, at the actor space a kind of like a beginning and intermediate group, and then when you got really when when you you know, one of two things, whether you spend enough money at the school or when you um, or when you were good enough, they invited you to be part of their advanced master.
0: Oh, I'll see. All right.
2: Um, so the advanced master class, it took me up. I, I was there for like a year and then they invited me to be part of it. And I felt like all honored and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, there was a big, huge personality. And and it was one of those it was it, it, it felt it feels so weird talking about it. it was one of those acting studios. And, you know, I had a great time there. But as soon as. The professor or the teacher walked in the room. Everyone would stand up and applaud as the, <laughs> as the teacher would come into the room, and then we would all sit down. And then the oh person, God. and then the teacher would always, they would take their bow, saying, thank you so much. I'm kind of like, you know, I'm honored to be here. And I, they would like put their hand in prayer position and bow their head, thank you so much. Oh and then the class God. would begin. That oh my so God, serious. we have to write this
1: movie. We have to write this movie about nine-year-olds coming into, wait, were all the teachers men?
2: uh no okay. no they they were not there were there were uh one there were two men and the rest were the rest were women
1: oh, okay wow so you then were always on the path starting at nine you probably started when you started thinking about college you knew this is what you were gonna do yeah and, yeah
2: very from very early age
1: and is usc very film and tv focused or were you really learning theater
2: we were learning theater, but, I mean, the it's interesting because each school within the university is in charge of raising their own funds. Oh. And the film and TV program, which has the Spielberg and the Lucas wing, was, like, in these really shiny buildings. And the theater school was in the old tennis, uh, tennis team locker room. <laughs>
0: I mean, that's, uh, that's like a perfect metaphor for for <laughs> everything for for everything, right? Right?
2: Yeah. So, um, I mean, I think they've had they they they've done a good job for themselves in terms of raising funds now, but it was it, it felt very much like we were the bastard stepchild on, on on campus is what it felt like a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was it was it was theater based. It was theater based. I mean, one of the cool things about being there is because it had such a really robust film program. Is I made a lot of great connections with like, you know, film directors and and writers and stuff like that. And I would say when I graduated, my first few like real gigs, like professional gigs were with people that I met at SC that were then working in in, in the industry.
0: Is that one of the reasons? Did you look at other conservatories or were you like, I'm going to USC so that I can have the connections of that place to launch my career?
2: My my dad was uh very very clear that if he was going to pay for a private school, it would have to be local. Uh, I actually i i was i was in i got i got in, i wanted to go to Carnegie Mellon, and I got into Carnegie, and i and I was desperately pleaded with my dad, but he said no. So uh, it was one of my top choices, but it wasn't like the the top top choice. Um, uh, yeah.
1: And was- how did your experience of uh? usc match up with what you thought it was going to be um you know what
2: i i think when i got there i was just so excited that i was having what i would have an opportunity to just act non-stop like that like you know oh i didn't have to take a spanish class i didn't have to take you know all these classes i could actually just focus on theater that that was that was kind of like a huge buzz that was just like for the first few years that was really really exciting i would say that um the, th- the biggest letdown in, in school was the movement program. It really didn't have a movement program. And I, I, I started school and they had a brand new dean. So there was a lot of like turnover and it felt very, dis- it felt very, very disorganized and discombobulated. And one of the things that kind of, I guess, kind of rubbed me wrong was they believe that the first year as they do in all these conservatives is about breaking you down really like, you know, just making you like, you know, just soul crushingly feel shitty about yourself that like, you know, question, and then they do that so they can then build you up. So that was, that was a hard thing. That, I mean, that was a hard thing. Luckily, I I had a teacher that actually liked me quite a bit. So I, I while other kids were whipping boys or whipping girls, I was like, I was actually lauded as like, you know, do what Jason's doing. So that was, that was yeah. kind of cool. But it, but it, But it felt shitty to be see other people on the other side of that because it felt it felt kind of wrong. So I was not expecting that because in my high school situation, I had a really beloved high school teacher when, when I was in high school who was just all about like praise and love and hugging you tight and really lifting you up and lauding you. And it felt very, very it was so different than what I was expecting in that regard.
0: Did you guys have a cut system?
2: There was not there was not a cut system but I will say that because it was we started with 32 but uh by the time we got to my senior year we were at 12. Yeah. Because the kids couldn't hack it or, or because they were so broken down or they were told by the teachers this really isn't the path wow. for you and then they decided to kind of to step back. I think probably the, the best experience I had at, 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 when I was at school was honestly, we had something uh, very, we had a very active independent student production program where basically the kids would have to, you have to raise your own money, but the school would give you a theater and we would do plays. And it wasn't part of like the school season or anything, but we could raid their prop closet and we could raid the, 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 the costume shop. And I would say my most meaningful, impactful experiences were those shows um, shows where we had like a lot of autonomy. And I actually, we we started a small theater company when I was, when I was there. And I I don't know that to me, that was probably the biggest learning experience that, that I had about really learning that in order to make it in the business, you have to kind of make your own way. That's (laughs) a great
0: lesson. I mean, I wish we would, that's fantastic. Did you, um, what were your, some of your favorite roles while you were, do you remember in college?
2: Yeah, I I do. So, um, probably the, the most meaningful one we, um, Eric Bogosian uh, wrote a play called Suburbia, mm-hmm. um, and it had just premiered at Lincoln Center. And uh, we got the rights after it premiered at Lincoln Center, and we performed it. And it was a role called Buff, who was kind of like yeah, a Yeah, I know
0: the play.
2: Yeah. Punk, it, fun, fun part. And then we got word that Eric was going to be in town on a book on a book signing tour, and he came and saw the show. And after seeing our show, he pulled the rights from the Mark Taper Form West Coast premiere and gave us money and raised money for us, our independent school production, to be the West Coast premiere at a school and at, at a theater in Hollywood. So um, that is it was,
0: fantastic.
2: It was a really, it was a really cool, really cool experience. And it was, it, I think, probably because, you know, Like most schools, you're playing, you know, you're you're doing the classics and stuff like that. So you're playing, you know, you're having eighteen year olds playing forty five year olds or seventy two year olds, which is like, you know, always hard. Suburbia is about kids playing their own age. So I think that more than anything, that's what I, I latched onto is someone that I I got it, I understood it. So that was that was kind of fun. That was a fun role. Um, I think uh, I did a production of American Buffalo, which was a lot of fun. Um, I did uh. Would say a cherry orchard. it was always a really fun, fun role. Who um, were you with the cherry orchard? You- I was a little, po- I was a little yeah. in cherry orchard.
1: Did Eric Bogosian keep workshopping that play or was it? Was yeah. It, oh, okay.
2: So. He did. He, he did. He actually did rewrites with us. He came oh. out and he, and he did rewrites. And so it was kind of cool to have him write, write for you, which was kind of, <laughs> it was kind of a cool, cool feeling. And then um, the, the, the theater group, we called ourselves the Namaste theater company. Uh, kind of a pretentious name, but the Namaste Theater Company, and we we did this West Coast premiere of Suburbia, and Eric, in order to raise money, he actually did came out and did his one man show, pounding nails on the floor with my forehead for our theater for a theater company and Ray, and all the money that went that he made for the production he gave to our theater. That is
1: you know I cool. love hearing really cool. stories like that. That is fantastic.
2: It was cool. It was he is
1: cool. uh I saw you on Facebook you're watching succession. He's oh, really good in succession. So good.
2: He's that show awesome. is amazing. Yeah, yeah he's very good. Good.
1: good. Did you keep in touch with him after I do. Oh, yeah okay.
2: we still we still email each other back and forth. Yeah. Oh that's no. so
0: fantastic.
1: That's cool. Yeah. But what happened between um the BFA and the MFA?
2: So between the BFA and MFA, I was auditioning a lot. I mean, I I I graduated, um, and we had our showcase, which is a fucking disaster. It was.
0: Tell me uh, more. I love hearing the showcase. It was such a story.
2: disaster. The the teacher that had this brilliant idea that what the casting directors would want to see would be scenes from Hitchcock movies. <laughs> so, so we were doing these melodramatic hitchcock scenes for agents and and for, for for obvious reasons the agents were like thank you but no no you know so so but so i didn't i didn't book an agent from that but from suburbia the year before which was my junior year um i had some um, agents and representation come out so i was actually signed my senior year of of college and i was able i had an agent after that and i was auditioning a lot and stuff like that um doing doing the whole film tv thing um, you know, doing guest spots. My, probably my biggest claim to fame is I, I was on um, this show called Roswell, which was on the oh, WB and the UPN network. I, I did like 22 guest spots on that. I was a recurring guest star on that. Um, so I was just doing that for a long time, just film and TV and trying to do theater here and there when I could, um, as much as I could. I tried to like at that point try to do at least one play a year. Um, And try to just stay active as much as I can. I got burned out really quickly of doing that. And then in 2006, I was like, fuck this. I'm tired of, you know, pouring myself out for really, really, you know, boring parts and parts that don't interest me. And then, you know, holding, you know, reaching for that nugget of like a role. And I decided, you know what, I'm stepping back from theater school and I'm going to, you know what? I really like crime uh, uh, film and, and uh, lawyer shows like law and order. So I'm going to become a lawyer is what I'm going to do. Um, and oh God, I, God uh, I artist. took, I took, I took the LSAT. Holy and, God. and I enrolled at a school in Florida to get my, a lot of get my JD. And the reason why I went to Florida is my wife, my wife's parents live in Florida and I, and I know how all encompassing would be. And I wanted her to have like a support system there. And while I was there, it became very obvious that like I, the theater bug was not like escape for me because I was like, you know, auditioning for stuff in Orlando and stuff like that. Like while I was trying to study for the, oh uh, for for my for my my law exams, I was still doing theater and um, I did great. I, I made the the honor council in law school and stuff like that. But probably the biggest kicker and the reason why I stepped back is while it, it was a part time program and I was working in a law office while I was there and to see the collusion that was happening between doctors And lawyers, like the massaging that was happening between those two things made me feel so fucking gross that I'm like, there's no way I want to be part of this. So um, I was in Florida and I said to myself, I got to go back in the theater. And I applied to the only MFA program that was within 20 miles of my house. And that was the Oslo Acting Conservatory. And that's the only reason why I ended up there. It's a great school. The only reason reason I ended up there was because it was close to my house that I was already at in Florida. Getting my law degree from. I
1: I thought you were going to say. I started writing. I thought you were going to say what it would have been for me, which is I realized when I got into law school that I wanted to play a lawyer. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, that's that's a big part. Yes, yes. It's like I want to play one on TV, but I don't want to be one. Basically, is the idea.
1: Yeah, it's um, so boring. There's so much reading. <laughs> oh my god! It's,
2: it's so it's so much reading, and it's it's just it's oh, yeah it's it's exhaust it's mind numbing and really really exhausting. Um, yeah, so I couldn't I couldn't do it.
1: It's meaningful that you grew up near Hollywood and you went to USC and, and you, and you just keep coming back to theater. Is it mostly because of what you're saying about the quality of the roles? I mean, you know, because there's very low stakes money wise mm-hmm. in theater, you get, to get to choose what you want to do more than you can in film and TV. I think
2: I think it's the the satisfaction of going from beginning to end to something. The feeling of taking an arc, something on an arc. I mean, as you know, you guys are both writers and you work in TV and stuff. You write this stuff. So you know that, like, you know, it shoots out of order usually. So the the satisfaction of doing that isn't mm-hmm. nearly as satisfying. I think for me. As doing a th- as a theater piece, mm. and there's something about being in a lot li- with a live audience, doing something, having a communal experience. I think is very exciting. I mean, that's, I mean, I love film, I love movies, and and I enjoy you know acting and film and TV and stuff like that. But if I would be honest with myself, just in terms of what I derive the most satisfaction, it's always been staged. Always.
0: You- okay. Okay. No, no, yeah. uh, do you feel that um, in, how does your master's program differ in terms of, you said, you talked a little bit about how you felt like you were less trying to sort of please the people around you. R- do you feel like you really started getting acting training when you were in your master's program? Or did you have they different? Yeah, yeah, I yeah,
2: I would say that. I, I would say, well, two things. One is I was probably the oldest student in my MFA program. So I don't think everyone had the same mindset that I did. There were a lot of kids that were like 22, 23, and they still had that kind of I really gotta please kind of vibe that was going on. But I yeah, I do I do think I think um I think here's the thing about acting tra- acting training, I think. I think that acting training um is about giving voice and giving conscious uh, awareness to something that probably people already subconsciously do good actors subconsciously know how to break down a text. They know how to do it. They don't, they don't, maybe they don't know exactly how to actually articulate the methodology of how they got there. But what I think this, this MFA program was really helpful in is really developing a systematic approach to something that when I feel like there isn't a natural way in for me, I mean, I, you know, I feel like, you know, I, I, there are certain plays where I read, I'm like, you know, I, I know I can play that. Like, I, I just, I just, I, I know it, but the, I think where the master's program was helpful for me is it would, it would take, maybe it would allow me to read a role and take a role that I maybe feel a little bit alienated from, that I don't feel a connecting a connection to and find a way in with that. And, uh, our, our, I would say that, you know, when I was, um, when I was probably a younger actor, I always worked very, um, uh, uh, inside out trying to figure out the psychology of a character and then like let it manifest itself in kind of like a, a physical form where the MFA program t- was helpful is the uh, the freshman that the, was freshman that was three years the first year teacher was really big into Michael Chekhov it was a Michael Chekhov technique which is really about you know outside in and using your imagination it really isn't about like you know, emotional memory or you know, tapping into that time your do- dog died to re- you know, have some kind of emotional release. It's about using your imagination and actually creating some kind of physical embodiment of something to feed your inner life. And I think that's, that was, that's been really, really helpful to me. And to recognize, I think, that you know, as an artist and as an actor, the way we work and approach roles is always going to change. What, works for, what worked for me when I was 18, 19 years old is not going to work for me now that I'm you know, 45. You know, it's uh, you have to constantly reinvent yourself, figure out exactly what are the triggers, the things that basically motivate you and find a way into the material. And I think more than anything, the master's program was uh, really good at um, giving me kind of a eclectic buffet of different techniques and ways in. I think
1: Hmm, that's so cool. Well, so you know that I was a therapist and actually Boz was too. Boz uh, and I did a similar thing uh, between, between undergrad and, and now, which is that we became therapists. So we're very curious always about the psychology of why people go into acting, but also how people incorporate their lack of understanding or their or, or their understanding of their own psychology into their acting process. And when you just described this thing about Michael Chekhov, which I wasn't familiar with, and you're talking about the outside-in approach, that seems to be me to be not very psychologically minded. Does that mean that? You fi- you prefer to take this. You-, you prefer not to pull from within your own like psychological experiences for
2: acting. No, no. What I'm what I'm saying is that um, I was so psychological based that I, I I I sometimes didn't recognize that there was this whole other way of working in terms of like you know that there is your body. And the way you actually, you're, the way you carry yourself and the way you like how you stand erect, if you, you know, how people concave. And sometimes, look, it's, it's. I think they both get the same, they, they go the same way. Basically, you know, there's studies that show that if you smile, you know, all day, you're going to feel happy, right. Right? right? So it's about putting on some kind of physical manifestation that then triggers some kind of psychological and emotional release in yourself so i i i I do always approach a role you know asking myself what what are the things that motivate this character what are my objectives what are my intentions what are the obstacles the standard like abcs of you know of, of, of theater all i'm saying is that um i think i found a more healthy way to do it for myself so i'm not um i'm not when when i'm when i'm not beating myself up or racking myself into in getting myself in such a head trip on on these roles where i feel like it's an i create unhealthy boundaries for myself that's so I'm, smart my wife my wife tells me i take my roles home with me usually and i try not i'm really trying consciously not to do that to to, to take that I, I i can leave it at the door i think more working from the outside in I-
0: I also think that there's there's um and, and it goes back to theater school about breaking you down and making you a a, a, a clean slate for building stuff I, I think what 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 you're saying is really important in that um it's not either or like I I, I think I never I think I was a terrible actor because I didn't incorporate both those things into my repertoire. I just didn't even, it was like a mishmash, but the way you're saying it is very clear is that there are different ways of working and maybe some work better for different roles, but that um, it doesn't have to be either or like I don't have to strip myself and become a mess. Like We talk a lot about that on the show of like when you're 18, 17, 18, 19, you think I have to be a mess to be an actor. I have to be a mess to be a good actor. It's just not true. And I think as we get older, like I'm seeing, you know, like your wife was saying, you bring roles home with you. It's just a tendency that we have, but it doesn't mean you have to be a mess. Like you can also balance your checkbook and right. be a good actor. Do you know what I'm saying?
2: Right, I, I totally know what you're saying, and but but to your point that you know it, every role is different, and every human being is different, and where you are in your life is going to be different. Like you know, I'm not I'm not one to berate Daniel Day Lewis and his very you know intense way of working, where you have to build a log cabin in the woods to play you know John Proctor in The Crucible. I'm not I'm not berating that it worked for him he he does beautiful beautiful work but i think i think there i guess what i'm saying is there are different ways in and really at the end of the day when you're teaching acting that's all you're teaching finding a way in right find find a way into the material i mean eventually if you're good enough and you're talented your subconscious is going to take care of the rest really more than anything it's about what is the thing that's going to unlock it for you and
1: I'm going to try yeah. not to berate Daniel Day-Lewis either, but it's probably hard to be married to him. Oh yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> right. he's, he's a
0: hell of an actor. Might be a weird father. Might be a weird yeah. father. Yeah.
1: So I I have the pleasure of getting to see you perform uh, recently. You know, a few years ago we did a play and, um, so Boz doesn't know anything about it, but he played a man is a great play. It's called where all good rabbits go. And it's a, it's a play about a, a, a world in which when you age and you grow old and, and, and your body gives out, you turn into a rabbit. Okay. And, and, and the great beyond is, you know, this place where it's, where it's a lot of rabbits. Wow. So he had to transform into a rabbit. Wow. Like, yeah. Like, full on bunny ears, like the whole thing. And, and uh, I, so I got to see the, the results of it, which, I mean, you were amazing in that play, truly. And I don't, I really don't say that to people. You were really Uh, doesn't. What was your process talking about outside in inside out? What was your process for that play?
2: Uh, probably a little bit of both. I mean, like, I, I think probably, you know, I had to at the very beginning understand what it felt like to feel like your body is giving out and losing yourself. And I feel like as a 45 year old man who is getting heavier and, 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 you know, my body is changing. I had to tap into that. What, it what, it, what, it, what, it, what are the things that I'm having to reconcile in myself that I'm not, I'm not 18 anymore. And my body's not doing what it once did, what I or at least what it what I wanted to do. So I felt like that was a way in for me to kind of like understand that the psychology of that, as far as the rabbit bit, I, you know, I, I found that was very, very helpful in terms of creating my inner tempo and the inner r- rhythms if, of creating the hop and all those things really kind of fed the internal tempo of the piece. Um, and then, you know, it just, it, you know, more than anything, you know, I think acting is just about, you know, listening and responding to your, your scene partners. So I, I think, you know, uh, the, luckily, you know, we had a really, Gina, you were great in the room. And we had some really, really great actors to to play off of. And I, the, one of the great things about the actress that I was playing off with a lot of my scenes, she was a really, really intuitive actress who uh, never gave the same performance twice. So it kind of forced you to always be on your toes, to never get locked into the line reading that worked last night, you know, mm-hmm. to like always allow it to be fresh um, and stuff like that. Um, so I can't point to any one thing to say this was my methodology, but I, I will say that like it was a mixture of definitely psychology and finding a way, how does a rabbit move? <laughs> you know? That's
1: cool. So we talked to somebody last week who was on that movie, in that movie Mank, with mm. David Fincher. And yeah. she told us that he did hundreds of takes yeah. and we, we I don't know, Buzz, I, I don't know actually how you felt about that. I, I felt like, what the fuck? Like hundreds of takes that actually, can I ask you, Jen, what, what was your thought about when she said so that? Because I'm such a scaredy
0: pants, I was like, Oh, th- that would be good because like, I feel like I don't start relaxing until the fifth take on set. But after a while, it becomes, to me, it would feel like, um, what are we doing here? What is the, really, like, what, what are we trying to, what, tell me what we're doing, because yeah. I don't, after the hundredth take, I may not know what I'm saying anymore. Like, it becomes, maybe some people work really great like that, but I think it's a little excessive, but, you know, I guess when you're famous and fancy, you could do whatever the hell you want, apparently.
2: But. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, oops. I, I definitely. Uh, what I think is, I mean, if you, I don't know if you were asking. Yes, me, I want to ask you. Yeah. But my my t- my take on it is, it feels a bit like psychological warfare. I mean, I will say that in terms of like probably what he wanted to do, I, who knows what the performance he was getting? So it's kind of hard to talk about it like in that kind of vacuum. But it's. I imagine that he wanted to get to the point where he wanted the actor to feel discombobulated.
0: Oh, so it was like because, maybe it was a it was like a technique or a trick of some kind.
1: Probably,
2: but it's a fucked up technique. I mean, it really is. I mean, I mean I, that's
1: I, what I think too. I, I mean, I, I don't
2: know. I I it's so, I, I just think it's it's so abusive, and there's other ways there are other ways to kind of skin that cat. I think, I, I really. I, I mean, think and so
1: too, and it, I think if it, it comes across to me as that whole thing we were talking about of breaking you down, which, by the way, is what they do in cults. That is the way that they get people to buy into what you're doing in a cult is they and the in and an the army and the army right? Yeah. So it, yeah. it, it cult- works. right it works but that doesn't but like you <laughs> say there's more than one way to do it um, I have a question
0: about your your you your career now. Um, obviously, you're a teacher, but you still it sounds like you still act. Do you act um if for do you audition for film and TV, or are you solely a theater guy? Oh,
2: I'm solely a theater guy. just the, with the teaching load that I have, it doesn't it it it's impossible for me to actually, you know, audition and stuff like that. I mean, i ju- I recently moved down to Florida to be teaching down here. And my intention is once we're in post covid, to get an agent in, the, in in Orlando and probably start submitting stuff. One of the cool things that I think COVID has taught a lot of casting directors is that they don't need so many face-to-face auditions right. now. So it will give that it does give me the luxury now if I want to, to get representation and submit my stuff that way. So I'm 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 considering it. I'm considering it. But it's not something that's on my burning right now.
0: Okay. And how did you make the transition for from like the hustle of being a theater actor and a film and TV actor into I'm going to start teaching? Was it practical? Was it what? How did you get there?
2: Well, I was, uh, when I was in Los Angeles pursuing a career as an actor, the Screen Actors Guild had a program called Book Pals, which is an acronym for Performing Artists for Literacy in Schools. And basically, uh, actors and artists would go into low, very depressed socioeconomic areas in Los Angeles and read stories and do a drama lesson to kids. And I felt a... I did it and I was hooked and I just really, really loved connecting with the kids that way. And it felt really, really kind of magical and very, very special. And so I knew when I was uh, I knew that when I was applying to uh, um, uh, to my MFA program, that the goal was always, always, always on the flip side of this, these three years to teach. Huh. I would uh, may, that might, you know, now that I think about it, that probably per- played a huge part of why I didn't give a shit so much what the teachers thought about me that it wasn't about trying to like, you know, right. have a career afterwards. It was always about getting my MFA so I could actually teach. I don't, I'm not teaching, I, I teach a private school, so I'm not credentialed. So the kind of like the terminal degree that I need to actually teach at an independent school is, is the MFA. So that's why, uh, that's why I pursued it.
0: Interesting. Um, that makes sense. It's like you had a you had a purpose. See, that's the thing. When we're like 17, my purpose was to please people. That that's it. And not and not right. be made fun of in some way or not be shamed. Yep. Okay. But if you have a greater purpose, right? If your purpose is to be of service to to kids and young adults using this degree, then who gives a shit what Mr. Joe Blow thinks of your, your you know, Shakespeare technique or whatever. You're there to gather tools to be of service and to be the best teacher you can. I think that that's like such a freedom, such a blessing that you went to school
2: with that. And you're, but that, that, that what you just said, the freedom, I think more than anything, like freed up my work. I mean, I honestly <laughs> felt like I was doing like, you know, I'm, to my arm, I think I was doing some pretty decent work in my graduate program, probably because I felt that freedom to not really care about what people thought about me. That it wasn't I didn't feel like every performance was a make or break thing, you know, mm-hmm. that it was I was doing it because like I like liked it. Like it was fun. Like I, I experienced in my MFA program what I had probably in my program Um, when I was at Young Actors Space, that kind of just pure sheer passion. And I love it. And I just love it. Yeah. And, and it probably- makes your work
0: better. It makes the work better. So I guess my question then to both of you is, is there a way to have, there are people, there are people we've talked to that go into their BFA and have that resilience and that that sense of freedom um, that, that, but most of us didn't in the BFA program. So it's like, how do we do that for kids? How do we say to a 17 year old, there is no judgment here, but also, and then allow them to do the best work because it doesn't seem to work that way in a conservatory. I don't know.
2: No, no, you're right. I, I think probably what would be helpful is to, at the very, very beginning, like, I don't know, for me, at least, I feel like maybe this wouldn't solve what you're talking about, but I feel what was severely lacking was an understanding of the way the actual entertainment and the, and the world really worked on the flip side of graduating. And I think if I would have had some like, kind of like education on like just you know, life's knocks, like the hard, hard knocks, I felt like, I don't know, I think that would have like freed me up a little bit. I noticed that like the kids that like thrived in my BFA program were trust fund kids. Kids that basically didn't have to worry about like you know like you know I have to I have to work and what what you know and all these things. Kids that basically had the freedom that basically it was a and that a, a trust fund that basically when they graduated they know that the funds would be there for them. And I think yet there's something way, to
1: that. Yet another way that income inequality <laughs> ruins <laughs> society totally. in in general. Well, so what's occurring to me is something I think I've probably talked about before, but this, for one thing, I think some part of theater training or acting training is hazing. The teacher who is doing it, it was done to them and they feel like this is part of what... And I think that the way that people justify it to themselves is, well, this is how they're going to have... This is how it's going to be when they're trying to get a job in the real world, is that people are going to... I mean, I don't know this personally, but I've heard stories that you're know you in the room for a television or film role and people are just talking about you like you're not there. She's too this. She's too that. She's not enough this. She's not enough that. Okay, so I get it. Like you're you're trying to inure the actor to that, but for one thing, you really can't inure somebody to like being humiliated, oh. and for another thing, in order to be able to access all of this good stuff that we want actors to be able to access, they have to feel safe and secure. So it's just backwards. This this, the, and maybe they don't do it at at these training programs anymore. I hope they don't. But that's how it was done for us, and it had the effect in me of making me feel like I couldn't do anything. <laughs> Not that I was inured to people rejecting me, but that like, I I, I couldn't do it the right way, which was unhelpful.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, it's, it is sad. I mean, I feel like, you know, that, and, and here's the thing about like, you know, kids when they come in, you know, to a, a BFA program, like, look, everyone has that magical epiphany at different times. And, you know, I think it's unfair to a 17 or 18 year old kid who might not actually have a full grasp on their instrument or the way, or, 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 or how to play a beat or all these things to basically cast them off and like use them as a, as a whipping boy or a whipping child as an example of like what not to do just because I feel like we all have those epiphanies later in life. And I will say that like the, that there, there are kids in my program that, you know, when they first came in, they, Maybe, you know, quote unquote, weren't didn't seem all that quote unquote good, but they had a magical epiphany their 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 junior year that caused them to basically a light bulb to go off. And I do agree with you that I feel like so much of it is um, unfair and I don't know how to solve it. I I wonder if it's different with social media. I do wonder if if the teacher being fearful of like, you know, any of their shit being videotaped, like might change the way they actually carry themselves in a room. That might be the one thing. And I and in the area of me, too. I, I wonder if that's changed, too. I mean, I, my my wife has just had 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 a miserable experience um, in, in her BF in our BFA. program. that's where I met my wife, Elena. And, you know, she was actually abused by a teacher. Like actually, you know, during, you know, movement exercises, you know, hands, you know, rubbing against her chest, all of those things in the name of like, you know, loosening your body. You know, and I just I, I feel like, you know, kids, their mind is still growing. 18, they're, they're kids. They're, they're, they are children. <laughs> they're 18 year old kids. I mean, yes, they're adults, but they're kids, really. And I, I think it's 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 really, really unfair to um, to expect kids to have the guts to step back and say, you know what, this isn't right. You know, that's just oh, I mean, yeah. I think that's, a, that's that's a lot for an 18 uh, to ask for an 18 and 19 year old. I would hope, Gina, I would hope that in, in social media times and that, you know, kids getting more and more um, um, advocated, you know, a- advocating for themselves, that basically they recognize the boundaries that they're maybe willing to step up. But I, I don't know. I mean, I, I've heard stories, you know, from I had I had a student that, you know, graduated from um, when I a school I taught in Los Angeles seven years ago and he went to Juilliard. And this was only five years ago. And he he described like just a really just a, an abusive, yeah. deep down. You suck. Right. You know, what are you thinking about? You know, uh, uh, women that would have weigh in. Yeah, they did it, that at
0: Carnegie but, Mellon as well. Yeah,
2: that shit. It still goes on and it's it does still go on. And I think, you know, the thing about it is it's so unfortunate is that I feel like, you know, teachers are like have a, a convenient way of kind of explaining it away. You know, well, you know, they we we need someone to have a, a a malleable body, so when they when they grow when they when they graduate, they're they're able to play a lot of different roles and stuff like that. There's a way to kind of describe it away, but it's it's so it's so abusive and so it I, it just I mean, my wife Elena, I mean, she probably when she graduated probably was paralyzed to go on audition sure. for five or six. She didn't go on audition for five or six yeah, years. She had PTSD.
0: I mean, she yeah. she. So I I I think. I hope it's changing and I think it is slowly changing, but I am just, um, yeah, I, I, some people and some people, some people thrive in that environment. Some people, uh, compensate in different ways. I mean, everyone gets through. And I think part of the reason we started this podcast was to say like, what was that, you know, and how did we get through it? And the other thing that makes me really happy is to know that, people like you are teaching that don't do that. So th- I'm yeah. really grateful that, that you're teaching because.
1: I think you're right too about the whole social media thing. Cause recently I discovered a Instagram account. That's somebody who's in theater school at DePaul right now. And it's just these eviscerations of teachers and stuff like that. I don't know if the teachers know about it, Maybe they do, maybe they don't. But yes, I think what you're describing about the, what the internet has brought out is a lot more accountability for people who can't rely on right. you know, being in the shadows. And one thing that we're experiencing as we talk to people that we went to school with is just all of these different perspectives about what was happening at that time allowing us to put the picture together more clearly and i'm yeah. not saying that necessarily anybody who's going to school right now is automatically having a clear picture because of social media but it probably helps to have a variety of ways i mean the only ways that we had to check in with each other about what was happening if we even acknowledged to ourselves what was happening was with our you know with our friend groups in 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 intimate moments and even then it didn't necessarily always come out, especially if a person felt ashamed that something yeah. that was happening to them was their fault. Right. Or yes. how do you deal with your
0: students with competitiveness? How do you do that? I guess I'm wondering.
2: Uh, I always, and I, and I feel weird about doing this, but I, it's been really helpful. I always have open auditions in the room. I never call people in individually. And the reason why I do that is that when people get a role, they see they deserve that role like that and then and it, that is really that's 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 been very very helpful it's also been helpful yeah. to always in terms of like you know I, uh, when i audition i usually have a panel of someone be i have i'll have a parent i will have a faculty member that's not involved with the theater and myself and maybe the music group from doing a musical so they don't feel like that mm-hmm. they have to get in good with me or impress me to get the role because that they feel like it's, it's a kind of like, it's an even playing field with everybody.
0: Wow. How did you come about to do that? How, how did uh, you-
2: because, because, because the first few years I was teaching, it was just me. And I felt, I felt the very thing that you're taught describing that. I felt like people were, the kids were really trying to, especially come casting time, you know, either butter me up or they, that it would just shut, it would shut them down because they were so nervous about having to audition. So I feel like, you know, more than anything beyond the panel, it's really having kids be present and see each other work. That's been a huge, huge, like relief valve.
0: That's fantastic because I would also, as a, as a, uh, uh, an auditioner um, um, I would feel so good to learn about other people's process and say, oh, they make mistakes, too, in their audition. Oh, they tripped over their words. Oh, oh, that to me is, oh, I wish I had had that.
2: Yeah, there's 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 none of the listening your ear against the door. There's none of the kind of like, oh, he was in there for 30 minutes. I was only in there for 15. What you know, what, what does that mean? You know, there's none of there's none of that. You know, it's it's transparent. It's like we're all in the room together and let's read it. And then usually I think, you know, usually after the audition, people know how the cast is going to shake out. They usually do. They're like, You know, and they're and they are not really surprised. Um, You know, that's not to say as a teacher, I don't get, you know, deal with like, you know, Emails from parents because <laughs> you know, little little Susie deserved you know the role and stuff like that. That's right. Uh, but I, that's been that's been less and less um, as as the years have gone on. So that's been I love kinda...
1: that. That's, I love it. Uh, anybody who's listening to this who who is in a uh, position of casting, with, especially with kids, I think you should definitely use this method. I lo- I love that so much. So of course I'm in my mind. I'm wanting to tick off the boxes about similarities and differences with usc so you mentioned you did showcase and was that just in la or did you go to new york too
2: that was that was just in los angeles
1: okay our hitchcock
2: shit show yes
1: (laughs) and what about the um the casting was it like each term you auditioned for all of the directors that were you know, and you got put into a casting pool and the teachers hammered it out amongst themselves and put up a casting pool. Yeah, the,
2: the way the way it worked is um, you you couldn't be in a main stage show until you were a junior. The freshmen and sophomores had their own show, which was more like a workshop that was very, very, very low production values. There were some but very, very little. And then come your junior year, you became part of the casting pool for the entire school. They would have on, but while you were juniors senior, you would still have your school show. You would still have your class show, but you could also audition for the main stage show. And if you got cast in the main stage show, you would not be cast in your class show. Um, so oh. that's how, that's, that's how they did it. Okay. Um, that's cool. And um, you, I, they, I think like, you know, usually they would have for their main stage show, they would have two, two plays in the fall, uh, two plays in uh, the winter, two plays in the spring, and then they would do a musical on top of that and then on top of that there would be the 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 class show so there be it was a pretty robust you know produ- it was a pretty robust you know uh season for production
1: did you have to also do crew
2: yeah friend. yeah my freshman year we had to take a um a a, a stagecraft class and i had to you had the you had to serve on the crew of a show. So uh, I was, yeah, I, I was. I think I was assistant stage managing, which was actually really kind of cool. It was a really cool, it was a mind opening experience because, like, you know, when I was in high school, I was just doing, you know, acting, acting, acting. So it was kind of cool to see how the flip side worked yeah. and gain crazy respect for uh, all the people that are involved backstage.
1: Yeah, for sure. And you said you were kind of the golden boy. So you got a lot of the good parts, but I'm guessing you probably had friendships with people who weren't the golden kids. And yeah. so like, I'm, I, I, because I would have been like on your friend side of things. <laughs> what was it like for you? Did you feel guilty sometimes about getting all um, these great roles?
2: Yeah, yeah, I did actually, because, and I, I think there was a lot of resentment that began to breed towards my junior s- senior year. That basically, oh, Jason's getting, oh, surprise, surprise, Jason got the lead again, you know. So it, it it definitely had a lot. There was also there was definitely a lot of resentment that I think was was bred from it. But um, uh, I felt like. Um, I was pretty humble about it at the time, so I didn't really kind of let it go to my really let it go to my head. Mm -hmm. Uh, There were people that you know I feel bad that like you know they're you know USC you're paying for an education like you know it's you know forty five thousand dollars a year to go to the school, and there are kids that basically were like you know you know server with a champagne server in the back, and that was all the roles they had their entire. In their entire four years there wow. you know and it was it's just really it was it was really unfortunate it was really unfortunate i mean i guess they're trying to do they try to emulate like you know the, the competitive you know competitiveness of the of the business but you know i feel like you know that you know you, you can only i'm a firm believer look I, i'm a, I'm a theater teacher i love teaching theater but i'm a firm believer that you learn through experience right, right? you learn through doing roles by like taking on roles and you know no matter of like laboratory discussion about it or doing scene work is going to like supplant actually working on a Role and taking it from start to finish, right? It was
0: not fair to those kids. No, it was not. They needed a chance, you know, Mm -hmm. to set them up for success is to give them a chance. Absolutely to work. Yeah, yeah. You know, things got to change. But they sound like they're starting. I mean, you're really giving me hope. Thank gosh. (laughs) And I'm not saying, you know, I don't really know you, but from what I'm hearing, is like at least there's. Look, if I had a kid, which I don't, thank God, but if I did, sending them to your school, I would feel okay. If my kid said, I want to go to school, I, if they said, you know, I would say, okay, I I, I, like, I know this teacher, I have this, this. my kid would be all right, you know, versus, oh my gosh, you're going to be broken down and then you're going to get, you know, an eating disorder. That's
2: well. Great. Well, what I've tried to really do with my with my theater programs is, you know, I tell my kids all the time that theater cannot just be about entertainment. The theater is about provoking thought, inspiring change, starting conversations. And there's a certain level of, of altruism that's involved with being, you know, a theater artist. And I feel like, I don't know, I think there's something to be said. You know, I, I do fun stuff, you know, like I'll do the farces and stuff like that. But usually the stuff I tend to do in, in you know, at, at the high school level tends to be a little bit kind of envelope pushing in terms of like, challenging the material, you know, not really worrying about language and stuff like that and and more than anything it's about really doing material that basically the kids can relate to that is actually about something. Mm-hmm. And I think in terms of like when I think about it now in terms of com- competitiveness, I think there's something to be said about the kids feeling like they're doing something for the greater good, that they're actually a conversation starter on campus, that it's not just about entertainment. I don't know, I think a lot of my kids have bought into that and and I think, you know, I think that's a big part of why the the the, the programs have kind of thrived a bit. That's awesome.
1: So oh. we ha- we are going to have to wrap up. But do you have before we go? Do you have anything you want to plug? Anything you want
0: to plug for us?
2: Um. Well, in COVID, it's kind of hard, hard, kind of hard to plug. I mean, I, I, um, well, we're, we we we're gonna I, we haven't really officially announced it yet with, with Throne Stone, so I'm not going to actually like say say what it is yet. But there will be something down the line in September that will be very very exciting.
1: Woo, I'm time. excited. And- and you can check it out at thronestone.org. .org,
2: correct, yes. Thank, that's you, my so I, Thank you
1: so much. Thank you, Jason. This is lovely
2: Thank you, guys.
1: that didn't go
0: to our school and also is making a difference in the world. And <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what, guys? This is so cool that you guys are doing-
1: I Survive Theater School is an Undeniable Inc. production. Jen Bosworth Ramirez and Gina Polici are the co-hosts. This episode was produced, edited, and sound mixed by Gina Polici. Follow us on Instagram at Undeniable Writers or on Twitter at Undeniable W R I T one. That's Undeniable right without the E one. Thanks.